God knew this prophet of his in that day and age and the situation of his nation at that time allowed this prophet of God to get a glimpse of his holiness and his glory. And by the way, there were others down through history that God gave that to in the Old Testament. Moses and others. But to be a little more specific, you know who Isaiah saw? Isaiah saw Jesus. You say, no, wait a minute, Pastor all This was like almost 800 years. Almost 800 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You're absolutely right. And here's one of so many scriptures in the Bible that confirms the fact of the pre-existence of Jesus Christ long before Bethlehem's manger. He's the eternal Son of God. Amen. There never was a time when Jesus did not exist. He just took up on a human body. We celebrate that at Christmas time, which is coming up soon. Now, how do I know that? Because we don't have time to look all these up, but you can jot it down. In, in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, the, the Apostle John is quoting from this chapter. And by the way, he even Jesus even quotes from this chapter. And the Apostle John said, quoting from this chapter, that I talking about Jesus, said, Isaiah saw his glory. Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. And right here, he sees God, the Godhead. Maybe he saw God the Father. Maybe he saw God the Holy Spirit. I don't know what all we're going to see when we get to heaven. Amen. But I know based on Scripture, John chapter 12, that Isaiah got some glimpse of the holiness and the glory of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to tell you something. That's what I need this morning. That's what America needs. We were in Romans chapter 12 for a couple of Sunday mornings and the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us that looking unto Jesus, amen, the author and finisher of our faith, boy, we need a fresh vision of God, don't we? In all of His holiness and all of His glory. Now, why was it so important in Isaiah's life at this time now, some Bible teachers, and, and, and some of these things we can't absolutely be sure, some believe that actually this took place in Isaiah's life earlier, and here God's just reminding him of it, that he just needed to be reminded of it. And so, you know, some of these particulars, but that doesn't change the truth of it. Whether this had happened before and God's just reminding him of it, or whether it's, it's happening at this particular time, it happened, amen, and he needed it. Well, why did he need it? The same reason you and I needed in 2018. Why is that? Notice verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I was reminded, God's still living. God's servants come and go. Amen. You and I will go one day if Jesus tarries long enough. Amen. Now we all want to go together in the rapture. That may happen. It may not. I want you to turn back with me. Hold your place here and turn back to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 26. If you find First and Second Kings, you've gone back too far. Find the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And let me try to just quickly set a little background here while you're turning the second chronicles chapter 26 that king uzziah was one of the most godly 
beneficial rulers and kings that Israel ever had are, to be more specific, the southern kingdom of Israel, which was known as Judah. Now remember Isaiah 6, 1 said it was in the year that King Uzziah died. The timing of it. And here was one of the greatest kings that God used to do so much for the southern kingdom of Judah. And you see some of this recorded in chapters like 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles chapter 26 verse 4 says that this king Uzziah did that which was what? Right in the sight of the Lord. Not just what was right in the sight of his political party or his contributors, but he did what was right in the sight of Almighty God. Doesn't that thrill your heart? And then it says there in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 at the end of verse 5 that as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Is that in your Bible? Now when it says God made him to prosper, he's making the nation prosper. Amen. Isn't that what we need in America? So you come on down through that chapter and you come to the latter part of verse 15. 2 Chronicles 26, 15, the end of it says, For he was marvelously helped. Wow. Oh, matter of fact, it says there for 50 some years. He started out as a 16-year-old teenager. Are you listening to this, young people? Oh, how God has used teenagers. You don't have to wait till you're in your 30s, 40s, and 50s Oh, back through history, how God has used teenagers, young teenagers, who were just had hearts right with God. Amen. Started out as a 16-year-old teenager and ruled in the kingdom of Judah for over 50 years. And how God sought God, had a heart for God, and God prospered him and prospered the nation. But look what it says at the end of verse 15, 2 Chronicles 26, 15. He was marvelously helped till he was what? Strong, and the next verse says, but. Hmm. But when he was strong, his heart, there's the problem, folks. His heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. Now, I won't take time to read the rest of it for lack of time, but you're, you, you can go back and read it. You're going to. He goes in and acts as a priest. He's not a priest. He's the what we would call today the political leader, the civil leader. And he goes in and offers incense on the altar. And the high priest takes 80 other priests in with him. Takes 81 of them, goes in and confronts the king who had been such a good leader all these years and said, you're disobeying God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Eighty-one of them put their finger in his face and said, Oh, King, look what God has done for us. And now you're disobeying God. And you read the verses there and he got wroth. He got mad. You know what? He was lifted up with pride. You know what that tells me? You can live a life serving Jesus. And you've still got that old rotten, stinking sin nature, that old heart that's deceitful, and that old sin called pride. It's the root of all sin, isn't it? Root of all sin. 
And you remember, you know the story of Uzziah? He got mad and angry and reached his hand out and God gave him leprosy. And leprosy broke out into his forehead. And the rest of his life, and many Bible teachers believe that he still lived another 10 or 11 or 12 years. And he, back in those days, now you think, man, that had spent 50 some years and God blessed him and the nation. And the next 10 or 11, 12 years of his life, he lived in isolation as a leper. In those days, that's what happened. And his son, he was still officially the king, but his son ruled, and and he was a pretty good king, but after Uzziah, there was never another ruler in the nation of Israel and Judah that was like these men. And I, so for 10 or 11 years, now get this picture, here's Uzziah, 10, 11, 12 years, living over here in isolation as a leper, and he's still their king. His son's basically just in name only. And you ask yourself the question, why didn't God just kill him on the spot and take him on to heaven? I believe he was a believer. Because for those 11 or 12 years, he was still a witness for God, wasn't he? This is what happens when you get too proud, too cocky, you start justifying disobeying God, whether it's a nation or whether it's an individual. And if Uzziah didn't get by with it, who's Frank Hall think he is? Now, I don't know, and I, as far as I know, the Bible doesn't tell us. You may know and you can help us. I don't know what Uzziah's attitude was during those next 10, 11, 12 years. Was he mad at God all that time? Was he bitter? I don't know. Or maybe he got his heart right with God and for those 10 or 11 years he said, God, I may have, I'll spend whatever years you give me as a leper, I'll still be a witness for you. I don't know. I, God doesn't give us all the details. But whether his heart was right with God or not during those last 10 or 11 years, he was still a witness for God whether he wanted to be or not, wasn't he? Of how holy and righteous God was. So it's interesting that in Isaiah chapter 6, it was says, when that king died, in the year, the time that he died, God gave Isaiah, I believe, this vision of himself. Now that was the king. Well, what's going in the, what's taking place in the nation as a whole? If that had happened in the life of just one man, what's taking place in the nation as a whole? Go back with me to Isaiah. And look at chapter 5 with me real quickly. The chapter just before we have the recording of this vision of Isaiah, not just dreaming, but I believe literally seeing the holiness of God. Matter of fact, in chapter 6, notice immediately after being reminded of the holiness and glory of God, look what Isaiah said in chapter 6, verse 5. In chapter 6, verse 5, he said, Woe is me. Do you see that? But before that, back in chapter 5, he pronounced six woes upon the kingdom of Judah. In chapter 5 of Isaiah, we don't have time to get into all this, but in the first several verses, the first seven verses, in the first seven verses of Isaiah 5, God pictures Israel and specifically here the southern kingdom of Judah as a vineyard. He, said, he used a parable 
You can read it in these first seven verses of chapter 5. He said, it's like a man went out and planted a vineyard. And those were popular. They, it's like cornfields today. It was a very vivid picture. And he said, this, this guy did everything. He fenced it in. He, he did everything he could do to, 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 for this vineyard to be able to produce good grapes. And yet, when it came time, it produced sour grapes. In other words, God was saying, I raised you up as a people and I've done... What more? He asked the question in these seven verses. What more could I have done, God says? What more could I have done for you that there might be produced works of righteousness and godliness and justice? And yet, you've produced just the opposite. And he said, I'm basically going to tear your walls down and gates down and turn you over to the enemy. I'm bringing judgment on you. Ah. And then look at the woes in verse beginning in chapter 5, verse 8. Now we saw the king Uzziah. Now we're, this is what's happening. Isaiah, as a, by the way, there's always a faithful remnant. Thank God for the faithful remnant. Thank God for Isaiah. And Isaiah, maybe Isaiah was getting discouraged. Maybe Isaiah was looking around and saying, man, the nation's going to hell in a handbasket. You ever heard that? Maybe Isaiah was saying, there's no hope. There's no hope. What's going on? Look at Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. Woe, here's the first woe. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed in the midst of the earth. In mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts, of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall only produce one bath of, 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 of juice, and the seed of an homer shall yield an ephah. You know, that's the economy. That's materialism. That's prosperity. It can all be summarized in one word here, and it's greed, greed, greed. Just get more. Can all you can get. Bigger houses, more land, more crops. Jesus put it this way. The fool filled his barn up and said, I need another barn. And he filled his barn up, and he gave no thought for his heart and his spiritual needs. And that night he died and went out into eternity. And he left it all behind, and he died and went to hell. I'm going to tell you, greed is a cancer that's eating our society up, isn't it? Money, money, money. Whoa, he says. When all the emphasis is on the material, prosperity, and God says, I'll put my hand of judgment on and you can have all the vineyards and acres you want, but unless God sends the rain, somebody, I heard somebody say this week, that you won't find too many farmer atheists out there, amen, because they know they need God's rain, amen. We deal, we're dealing with that today, aren't we? Look at the second woe real quick, verse 11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink. That's alcohol. And you read down through those verses and it talks about all the lewd living, all the consequences, all the problems that come because of a society that likes its beer and alcohol and whiskey and on and on. Go down through that. And we're reading about something that took place nearly 3,000 years ago, folks. A lot of things haven't changed in this world. 
By the way, I believe any any child of God that's worth his salt ought not touch one drop of any kind of intoxicating beverage. Amen. I don't know how you can justify drinking one beer when you see all the damage and heartache that alcohol, and then you take drugs and everything else on top of that. I don't know how any conscientious Christian can justify, well, I take it for my kidney. God help you. Surely you can find something else if you need something for your kidney. Amen. Abstain from the very appearance. Getting awful quiet in here, isn't it? You read down. Matter of fact, verse 14 says, Hell hath enlarged itself. They're partying their way right in the haven. Dancing their way, drinking their way, partying their way right into hell. Amen. That's where many are in America today. And unfortunately, a lot of them are sitting in church somewhere this morning. Look at verse 18. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a rope. Let them... That say, let him make speed, hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know of it. They're mocking God. The New Testament says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. You know what they're doing? The picture there, you study these verses in verses 8 and 9. It's like, let's have a parade. Let's call it Gay Pride Week. Let's call it Gay Pride Saturday. And that's just an example. And let's parade our sin. Let's pull it down the street in the cars. These fundamental, all these idiots out here preaching and teaching the Bible and God's judgment. Let the Holy God pour His judgment down on us if He wants to. Now they may not come out and say it that way, but that's their heart. There's nothing new taking place. Oh, the mercy. The mercy and the grace of God. Where would I be today? So isn't it amazing? Isaiah, he's looking around his nation and he's pronouncing God's judgment on greed. All the loose living and sin associated with alcohol and gambling and, and, and just parading. Man, we're living in a day where we're just parading our sin in your face. And the most intolerant group in our nation today are those who are always crying tolerance. Brother Eddie Aleph, one of our missionaries to our state capital, said the worst fight he's had this year, the last session of our Congress, is in those meetings where they're dealing with issues of same-sex marriage, lesbians, homosexuals, and when, when they find out they're losing and the committee's not voting in their favor, they start yelling and screaming. And Eddie said... Uh, actually they followed him out and a guy had to come in between him and some of them because he thought they were ready to slug him. Now that's where we are. No wonder Isaiah looked around and said, my goodness, Isaiah may have been like you and I. We may never admit it, but there are days when we say, Lord, it's just no use. I mean, maybe it's too late. Now, very quickly, hang on. There's more woes to come. Look at verse uh, 20 of chapter 5. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. God says it's possible for an individual, a family, a church, or a nation to get to the place where they honestly don't know the difference. 
difference. They can't discern between that which is really morally right and that which is morally good. Well, my soul, if, you, if you're 20, 30 years old, you don't even have me figured out whether you're a male or a female, something's wrong, amen? Now, we say that joke and then we laugh, but we're in a mess. We're in a mess. Verse 21. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. That's pride, isn't it? Wisdom of man. Isn't it amazing you can raise your child teaching the Bible? Send them off to some godless university somewhere and some dignified professor can stand up and in five minutes plant seeds in their heart. Mom and dad meant well some, but they should have gone out of the Indian. Your preacher loves you and he means well, but you know, <laughs> you don't have. Well, I'll tell you what, if that teenager is truly born again and saved and has the Holy Spirit of God living inside of him, he'll be all right. But if he's grown up under all that teaching, but he's not truly born again, a lot of damage can be done. I know great Christian families today who have children who are claiming to be atheists. Some of them living in the most horrible, wicked lives of sin. What happened? Did they lose their salvation somewhere along the way? No. No. It's a spiritual warfare, folks. And somehow we think just because the guy's got a little pigtail behind his name, and there's nothing wrong with education. I wish I'd have worked harder. I wish the more you have up here to, for God to work with, amen. Amen. There's no premium on ignorance. But somehow in our society we think if you've got a little Ph.D., what's that stand for, a post-hoe digger? And by the way, we, by the way now listen to me, and you know that we've got, we've got people in this auditorium right now who have Ph.D.s. But they love Jesus. They love the Word of God. They can sit down beside of me that doesn't even know how to use good English half the time. We have a common bond in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if you have the capability of being a Ph.D., amen. But that doesn't mean pig slop, amen. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and believe the Word of God and base it on the holiness and righteousness of Almighty God. And yet, somehow in our society, you see... Kids and our young people. Well I, well, I read a book. Well, I heard something. Well, big deal. <laughs> I, I got a book, amen. The book, the Word of God. So all this is happening. Look at verse uh, 22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength. You know, it, ends, it comes back to alcohol. All the sins and all that are associated with it. And the whole conclusion, look at verse 24 real quick. The last part of verse 24, they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. There's the problem. They've cast away the word of God and they've turned their back on the God of the word. Now, I challenge you to go study that chapter. Now, very quickly in Isaiah chapter 6, in Isaiah chapter 6 with that background, King Uzziah, by the way, apart from the grace of God, where would I be today? Where will I be tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, but for the grace of God? Look at the nation. You're talking about spiritual decline. And Isaiah is saying, God, what do we do? You know, the psalmist had the same problem. 
In Psalm 11, and you're familiar with it, the psalmist asked the same question in Psalm 11. He said, God, when the foundations, when the foundations, the very foundations have been destroyed, what can the righteous do? Those who really want righteousness and holiness, what can we do? And the very next verse in Psalm 11 says, the Lord's in his temple. What? The Lord's still on the throne. Isn't that exactly what Isaiah says? God, what what are we going to do in a mess like this? Oh, remember, God's still on the throne, amen. God's still holy. God's still righteous. God's still in control. Run to God, amen. Run to, remember who he saw? Jesus. Run to Jesus. You know, Jesus is still the answer, amen. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a message, this vision that Isaiah's having, to him is a message of hope, isn't it? Is there any hope? (laughs) As long as God's on the throne. Amen? And look now, it's not just a message of hope for Isaiah. It's a message of healing and help. Because look at verse 5. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. I wondered, why did did he say I am a man of unclean lips? After naming all these sins back there in chapter 5 and on and on, and someone said, well, maybe it was because Isaiah, and we, all we can do is speculate. Somebody said, well, maybe it's because Isaiah hadn't been faithful enough in speaking out against these sins as a prophet of God. Well, I don't, from what I read about Isaiah, I don't think he had any problem. Now, I look back through my life and I'm guilty. I, I wish I'd have been more bold and more loving and more firm at times with individuals and families. And even with the congregation, I've had the privilege of having. There have been times when I've not really taken a stand, perhaps like, I'm not talking about just compromising sin and all that. Maybe. Others said, maybe God would, he's saying, Lord, uh, uh, I'm a man of unclean lips, God. In these days, I need to be bold in spite of all that we're facing to speak the truth, oh God. But speaking in love, that's the only thing that's going to help this world is the truth of God. Amen. I don't know why he mentions lips here. I thought of this. Maybe it's because the Word of God teaches us that in the presence of God and God's truth, every mouth is to be stopped and the whole world becomes guilty. Amen. Amen. And Isaiah said, you know, Lord, if we're going to help our king, our president, We're going to help the Supreme Court. And we're going to help our school board. And we're going to help everybody else. It's going to have to start right here. God, I'm a man of unclean. Isaiah saw his own sinfulness. Are you with me? Remember we say it, the New Testament teaches us, while you're trying to get that little splinter out of his or her eye, what about that beam, that telephone pole in your eye? Well, you got one finger going out. What about the three that's pointing back? Isaiah said, oh God, let me begin with me. And in verses 6, 7, and 8, it says that one of those, 
this is symbolic here. One of the seraphim takes a burning coal and comes over there. Now, this didn't literally happen. And it was a picture there of Isaiah being convicted of his sin, confessing his sin, being cleansed from his sin. If we will confess our sins, Jesus is faithful just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. It was a message of spiritual help and healing for Isaiah. You know, sometimes God has to let a nation get into a mess. Sometimes God allows a marriage to get in a mess. Sometimes God will allow an individual life to get in a mess As I say it sometimes, God has to rattle your cage to get your attention, amen, and wake you up. And Isaiah realized, hey, it has to start with me individually. God, I need spiritual help. I need spiritual healing. Now, there's a third message here. Let me just mention it quickly from verses 9 to 13. There's a message of warning here. And I, and, and, and I know Isaiah's heart was right with God because in verse 8, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me? He said, basically what Paul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? The Lord said, is there anybody that would like to go? And Isaiah, even before he knew where to go and what to do, he said, here am I, send me. And here's what God said. Let me summarize it and you can read the verses. He said, here's the prophet of God. And he said, Isaiah... I want you to just keep preaching the truth. Keep, that's the only thing that's going to help mankind. Here's what's going to happen. And how would you like for God to tell you to go teach a Sunday school class, pastor a church, and here's what's going to happen. The more you teach and preach the truth, the harder hearts are going to become. Well, you know, I think I'll let Miss Blevins teach that Sunday school class. That's not too encouraging, is it? But Isaiah, you read the end of the chapter, there will always be a remnant. There will be a holy seed. You're not going to help everybody. Now watch this, and here's what's happening in America. Here's what's happening in many families today. And here's what's happening even in the lives of many people, even sitting in Bible-preaching churches just like ours today. Some will hear the truth of God. And they'll humble their hearts like Isaiah and say, Oh God, help me. And others like King Uzziah will go to the temple and be lifted up with pride. And you'll leave in a worse mess than you were when you came because you let your cotton... Maybe I should say I. We will leave our cotton-ticking, cotton-ticking, pride. Amen. (laughs) And rebel against God, what God's telling And having sat under the truth of God's Word, you'd have been better off not coming to church today. Amen? Because God's truth does not go and return void. It's going to accomplish something. And to the humble heart, it'll heal you and help you. But to the proud heart, it'll only make you harder. And there are born-again believers today who are who seared their conscience and are hard. It'd take a stick of dynamite to move them because they're responding to the truth of God in rebellion. It's not for me. They just won't let God have His will and way. Our nation is hardened. We're a divided nation. 
toward God, toward the truth. Now, they don't, they don't mind religion. They don't mind religion. They just don't want truth. Amen. So this vision that Isaiah had, a threefold message, there's many other applications. It was a message of hope for Isaiah. There's hope. God's still on the throne. It's a message of healing and help for Isaiah because he humbled his heart. But he says it's going to be... And by the way, in Matthew chapter 13, in John chapter 12, in Matthew 13, Jesus himself reached back and quoted these verses. They asked Jesus a question and said, why do you teach in parables? Because he said, those who aren't willing to humble their heart will never understand. They will not be converted. And I'm not going to allow them to be converted unless they're willing to humble their old proud heart and acknowledge their sin. But then Jesus looked at those disciples and said, but for you, it is given to understand these truths because you have humbled your heart. You've acknowledged your sin. And you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And Jesus is quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. Isn't that something? What's wrong with our nation? What's wrong with our homes? What's wrong with some of us? I'll tell you, it's a heart problem. It's a heart problem, folks. It's not a head problem. or It's a heart problem. Are our hearts right with God? Amen. God resisteth the prayer. But he gives grace to the humble. You know what I need? You know what your preacher needs? He needs a fresh, balanced vision of God today. All of his holiness, all of his glory, all of his mercy, and all of his. I just need to run to Jesus. Amen. What's my relationship with Jesus Christ this morning? What is yours? Do you know him as your Savior? This God that Isaiah saw. High and lifted up, came to earth one day, took upon a body of flesh, died on an old rugged cross for your sins and mine, was buried and rose again. He's a living Savior. Have you ever repented of your sin and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, you're going to go to hell one day. We read about it even in Isaiah chapter 5. Hell hath enlarged itself. Can you imagine stepping into the presence of an absolutely holy, righteous God? Donnie Miller stepped into his presence yesterday morning. Having been washed in the blood of Jesus, covered with the righteousness of Christ. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many of you is a testimony to the grace of God and only to the grace of God and say, yes, I know Jesus is my Savior. I've repented of my sin. I've trusted in the blood of Christ and His righteousness. By God's mercy and grace, I'm a born-again Christian. I truly know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you raise your hand as a testimony to His mercy and grace? Amen. Take them down. Is there somebody here today and you'd say, Pastor Hall, I know you've not preached a gospel message and you've mentioned salvation, but I don't know Jesus. My old proud heart, God's pricked my heart along the way and I'm too proud to admit it and acknowledge it. I don't know whether I'm going to heaven or hell, but I'm just too proud to tell anybody about it. Would you be willing to humble your heart right now at least enough to raise your hand and request prayer? I'm not going to call your name out or embarrass you. Would you at least be willing to humble your heart enough to just raise your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me. I've got to know for sure that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Anyone all over the world, don't let your pride keep you from coming to Christ and being born again. It's not worth it. Anybody all, all over the auditorium, say, Preacher, pray for me. Pray for me. I'm not 100% sure that I'm saved. 
Pray for me. Would you stand with me please while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Is there any hope for you, your marriage, your home, your family? Is there any hope for America? Oh, as long as God's on the throne, amen. Looking to Jesus. Father, I pray today, use your word. Challenge us, God. Help each one of us like Isaiah to take inventory. God, we have, yes, so much to be thankful for, but help each one of us to say, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me, oh God, and help me to be submitted to your will for my life. Oh God, help me not go through life just doing what I want to do and calling the shots. God, do for each of us what you did in the life of Isaiah and use us for your honor and glory. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask the pianist just to play a verse or two. If you're not saved, would you right where you stand trust Jesus? If not, would you come and let one of our men or one of our ladies take a Bible and help you? That's the most important thing in this world, in this life, to know Jesus. From the youngest person to the oldest person in here, whether you have a whole life to live or another day or a week, does your heart really desire for God's will to be done in your life? Then, if not, can you ask God to bring you to the place where you really want that? Say, God, take me and use me. Like Isaiah, Lord, here am I, send me. Whether it's across the ocean, across the street, or a Cross the aisle at the workplace. God, take me and use me this week at school, at play, at work, at home to be salt and light. Lord, you've saved me by your grace and you're going to take me to heaven one day. And You've got a purpose for my life. Yes, God, we want the right people on the Supreme Court and in these political offices and that is so important. But God, what about the position you've got for me in this old wicked sinful world? There's hope, there's help, there's healing. But oh God, don't help my heart to be lifted up with pride. We don't want to spend our last years as Uzziah. God, humble our hearts and fill us with the Holy Spirit and use us for your honor and glory. I want to ask the pianist to play one more verse and that's all. Make decisions. Young people, I beg you today. Oh, just humble your heart. Give it all to Jesus. Serve Him. Live for Him. You'll never regret it. If we can help you, please let us know.